All right. Well, today's a good day. Today we are starting uh, a brand new series in Romans. So if you got your Bibles, pull them out, open them up to the book of Romans because we are going to uh, dig into Romans all these next two months in June and, and July. And I, I mentioned this before, we could spend easily eight years in the book of Romans, but we decided to do it in eight weeks. Okay, so it we're, we're going to go real wide here, but that's why we've got summer circles, right? If you haven't signed up for summer circles, do it today. Get plugged into a group. You can sign up. Uh, there's a group meeting tonight at 7 o'clock. There's two groups on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, or there's a group on Saturday at 7 o'clock. And so we encourage you to sign up for that because uh, on Sunday morning, we're going to hit quite a wide area, but we challenge you, go to summer circles because that's where we're going to dig a little bit deeper. Right? We're going we're gonna to hit on these each and every week. And, and so get into God's Word. And in fact, uh, today we're going to cover the first two chapters of Romans. We're going to hit some of the key points, some of the different things. But I encourage you, read through these two chapters. Before you go to the Summer Circles groups tonight or Wednesday or Saturday, take time and, and just really dig in. Spend some time and, and, and pray about these passages. Journal about them. Uh, look up a, a devotional on them and, and just dig deep. May this summer, uh, may you grow in God like never before because you're digging into his word. So, so daily, dig into God's word. Uh, this week, we're focusing on Romans chapter 1 and on Romans chapter 2. So let's just pray over this before we, before we jump in. Father, we thank you for the opportunity uh, to dig into your word. Thank you that you've given us this, this amazing gift. And Lord, as we, we look in the book of Romans, I pray that it would transform us, that it would transform our lives because Lord, we, we know that, that your gospel is presented in this book and your gospel is what changes everything. So Lord, would you open our eyes up and, and may we not just learn it, but God, may we apply it to our lives and may we do it in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so Romans chapter 1, if you're just kind of looking there, uh, in verse 1, we, we find out the author of Romans, and it, it says that it's, it's Paul. He is a servant of Christ Jesus. He's called to be an apostle, and he is set apart for the gospel of God, All right? So this is, is Paul. He calls himself an apostle, but the first time we meet Paul in the, boss, in, in the Bible, he looks nothing like an apostle. In fact, he is trying to persecute the apostles and put them to death. That is Paul. His name is originally Saul. And, and, and Saul is a guy who, who's been out there. He's a Pharisee, born and raised. He's living by the Old Testament law. He tries to do everything to a T. When he sees Jesus coming into the picture, he doesn't like it. He doesn't think that that lines up with, with what he has learned and read all of these years. And, and so he's going out to persecute Christians. But on the way, on the road, guess who appears to him? Jesus. And it changes everything. I mean, it changes his life completely upside down. Before he was going to persecute Christians, now he is a Christian, right? Now he's a follower of Jesus, and his life was never the same. And, and in fact, he says now he's an apostle, and he's set apart for the gospel. He's set apart to, to preach the gospel and, and to tell the good news that Jesus died and that he rose again, that we can receive grace, that we can receive forgiveness. I mean, this is the good stuff. This is, this is the best news that the world has ever heard. And, and so Paul is the one writing this. And in verse 7 through 15, we see who he's writing it to. He's writing it to the church in Rome, to the believers in Rome. 
He says that they have great faith. He says that, that he prays for them often, that he longs to come and see them, that someday he's going to make it to Rome. He's going to visit the believers there because he wants to encourage them. He wants to pass on a spiritual gift to them. He wants to take them to a new level. And, and he also wants to be encouraged by them because he's excited for what's, what's going on there. And what's interesting is that the church in Rome, it, it wasn't planted by Paul. A lot of times he, write let, he writes letters to churches that he's planted, but it wasn't planted by Paul. It wasn't planted by Peter. You know, perhaps it was planted by another one of the 120 in the upper room when, when the Holy Spirit came down. Or perhaps it was planted by uh, some people from one of the churches that, that Paul planted over in Turkey or one of his other missionary journeys. We, we don't know where uh, the church in Rome was planted or how it was planted, but we know the gospel spread there, that the good news is happening. And we see the purpose uh, of why he's writing this gospel is, uh, or why he's writing this, this letter to the church in Rome is, is simply to share the gospel. In his other books, Paul wrote 13 books of the Bible. In his other letters, typically they're in response to a problem or something that's going wrong in the church and he's trying to correct them or encourage them on the good things, correct them on the bad things and, and put everything back into place. But in Rome, he's never visited there before. Uh, he hasn't preached the gospel there before, so he gives them the whole thing, right? This is no side salad. Romans is the meat and potatoes of the gospel, of the good news, of why we need it, and, and why uh, Jesus had to come and die for us. And, and so that's why this book is, is so core to the gospel message. That's why so many lives in history have been changed simply by reading the book of Romans. That's why we're looking at it today. So Paul, as he's writing here, and he comes to verse 16, and this is his thesis statement. I mean, this is his purpose. This is why he, he wrote this book, and he comes right down to it. This is the main point. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. So he comes to this point and he says, this is why I'm writing this. My message is the gospel. Here, I'm, I'm going to give you the whole thing, guys. See, the gospel, these are the words I'm about to write you. And, and I'm not ashamed of it because it's got the power to save. Because I've seen it happened in my own life, right? He met Jesus on the road. I, I've seen the, the gospel play out in my life, and it changed me from death to life, and it can do the same thing in you. And it says this gospel, uh, this gospel, this gospel message will allow you to receive righteousness. Amen. What does that mean? To be in right standing with God. That's something that all of us are chasing, whether we realize it or not. We, we want to be in right standing with, with God. And the way that happens, it's not through doing the right things or, or saying the right things, but it happens through faith, through faith, through belief, belief that Jesus died and that he rose again for us. And he says that this faith not only allows you to receive righteousness initially or on the day that you're saved, but it will sustain you and keep you righteous every day. Right? This, this faith has not just the power to affect one day, but the power to affect every day of your life. 
So Paul's getting up here and he's saying, I'm not selling you anything. Uh, This isn't an infomercial. This isn't a passing fad. This is the greatest news the world has ever heard. I am not ashamed of it. And I'm going to trumpet it as loud as I can. And I'm going to tell you the gospel from beginning to end. So this is his message. This is his purpose of writing his letter. This is the gospel that you can be saved. So now the question is today, because you probably heard that term before. Anybody heard? You need to get saved, right? You need to get saved. But to some people, I think you'd ask the question, nice, saved from what? Right? What do I need to get saved from? Everything's good. I mean, finances are strong. Uh, you know, family's doing good. Got a solid job. I've got a, my car's not broken down. you telling me I need to get saved? Saved from what? Right? I, health is good. And that's the question we're going to answer today. That's what we're going to look at because uh, that's where Paul starts. He starts from the beginning. Before he tells us that you need to get saved, he tells us why you need to get saved right? He, he tells us the, the why behind that. And, and so this whole series, uh, why should we care about Romans? Why should we care about the gospel? Why should we go deeper uh, with summer circles? Uh, is answered here because Paul starts at the beginning. See, Paul will spend the rest of chapter one, all of chapter two, and even into chapter three, showing us why we need the gospel, why we need the righteousness from God, why we cannot earn or deserve uh, or attain it ourselves. And he's going to present us with this dark picture of humanity. Yet it's the backdrop on which the bright jewel of the gospel shines. And so we believe that this morning. So Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says this. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. So Paul starts from the very beginning in this passage. He says, for since the creation of the world, or in other words, God created the universe. He goes way back. I mean, we're talking... Adam and Eve, we're we're talking Genesis chapter 1. He goes back to that and he he says, I'm going to present the gospel to you today. Let me start with this. God created the universe since the creation of the world, that his eternal power and his divine nature, God created the universe and and he wove into it, his, his qualities into the fabric of this universe, right? The Bible says we were created in the image of God. We were created. You were created in the image of God. You look around at, at, at the vastness of nature or the detail of nature, and you will find in it the brushstrokes of a creator. Right? God wove himself into the fabric of the world around us. You know, some say that science and God are opposites. Say that they oppose each other, that they don't get along. But I think that the more we, we study, the more science that, that we research, 
I think the more that it points us to the existence of God. I mean, again, you look at the vastness of our universe. It, it seems like the more that, that we study the universe and, and space, the bigger it is. Right? The, the more details that we find out there, the, the larger we realize we can't, we can't control all. We can't understand it. We can't even begin to comprehend how large our universe is. Right? That points us to a creator who's larger than us. But then you, you look at the attention, the detail that God gave. Not only did he create the vastness of the universe, but you go down to the subatomic level and, and how, man, these atoms come together with protons and neutrons and electrons and, and they're all uh, you know, working together and, and, and molecules coming together and all these different things, the DNA in the human body and, and just the vast amounts of information that has to go into all these things for everything to, to come together that it, this universe is so finely tuned that life can exist, that we can be, be alive and interact and have thoughts and, and, and all of these crazy details down to the molecular, down to the atomic level. And it points to a creator. See, when we study the science, biology, anatomy, physics, astronomy, the, the, the more we see it, again, it, it's just more strokes, brush strokes of, of the Creator's hand. See, by nature, things don't become more complex. They become more disorganized. Right? That's, that's just nat natural. But, but God made something so beautiful. Since the creation of the universe, this didn't come together through some random chance. See, verse 20, it says that, that God's qualities have been clearly seen by mankind through the universe around us. Or in other words, everyone knows the truth. Everyone knows the truth. Doesn't matter who you are. You, you know it. Uh, your, your family knows it. Everyone in South Dakota knows it. You look at every continent. Every person in this world knows the truth. They can look around. They can see the evidence and, and see that this world was created by someone greater. It points to God. Now, that doesn't mean that we all believe that. It doesn't mean that we all acknowledge that. Similar to gravity, right? We all know the law of gravity. What goes up must come down, right? We know that. But not every day do we live like we believe that, right? You think, oh, I can jump over that. Oops, no, I can't right? Or, you know, I, I think I can stand. No, I can't. Because what comes up must come down. And, and so while we, we know that law, it doesn't mean that we necessarily believe it or, or try to live that way. And, and in the same way, we can try to ignore the fact that God created the universe and that he created us, but it doesn't change the truth of the matter. See, verse 18 tells us that, that because of our wickedness, we have suppressed the truth. We have suppressed it. We know it, but let's just bottle it up inside. Let's not live it because we've exchanged the glory of God for a lie. Mankind has rejected God. We, we see that in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve, they knew the truth. They knew the laws. They knew that they weren't supposed to eat from that tree. But what did they do? They suppressed the truth. And they bought into the lie. And they exchanged the glory of God for their own selfish desires. See, Paul says that although mankind knew God, that we didn't glorify God. Instead, we exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images of his creation. We started praising creation rather than the creator. 
Because we as humans, we love to take a good thing, right? God made everything he said, it's good. But we like to take those good things and make them God things. You ever been there before? We, we take something that, that's healthy and, and growing, and instead of worshiping God for making it, we worship the thing, and we make it a God. And, and, and maybe some of you, you're, you're standing around and you say, oh, I, know, I know I haven't been worshiping God lately. I, I know maybe I haven't been to church. I, I, I know, but I haven't switched gods. I haven't switched to, to somebody else. I haven't switched to a different religion, but the, the fact is humanity is created to worship. We, we are created to worship, so when we choose not to worship God, we don't just stop worshiping. Instead, we change the object of our worship. We're always worshiping. So if we're not worshiping God, who are you worshiping? Money, job, a relationship, status. What are we chasing after? So to summarize, Paul's telling us God created us. We all know the truth. We've all rejected the truth. And then, uh, then something called God's wrath comes in, right? Because there's consequences. Uh, how many of you know, your mom maybe taught you this, that, uh, that when you disobey the one who created you, there's consequences, right? Anybody's mom teach you that? Well, the same is true. When we disobey the one who created us, when we disobey God, there's consequences to our actions uh, because God created us perfectly and he created us with a perfect plan, yet we ignored it and we went off course. The Bible calls that sin when we disobey God. And so verse 18 says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men. So because we rejected God, God's wrath is being poured out on us. God's wrath is revealed. God's wrath. That's not really a fun topic to preach on. But that's what Romans 1 and 2 is all about. It, it talks about God's wrath. And God's wrath is so essential and it's so foundational because we have to understand that, that uh, we have to understand the fierceness of God's wrath to understand the, the greatness of God's grace. Think about that. We have to understand the fierceness of God's wrath to understand the, the greatness of God's grace. See, we live in South Dakota, and we really appreciate summer around here because we know the darkness of winter, right? It's a long winter. When you live in the darkness for a long time, you start to appreciate the light more. Free meals may not mean much to you, but, but when you don't have anything and you're barely making ends meet, man, free meals mean a lot more. See, Paul understood that in order to make the gospel shine, he had to start with the darkness that we're all living in. In order for us to understand salvation, he had to start with the destruction that was to come. So like I said, Romans 1 and 2 and even into 3 talk about this darkness. They talk about God's wrath. And there's two different forms of God's wrath that, that we see play out. Uh, the first one that we see in this verse is God's current wrath. God's current wrath. So usually when we think of God's wrath, we think, oh, that's something that's coming a long time from now. Well, once, once we die, uh, you know, judgment day, all that stuff, God's wrath is going to be waiting until then. But this passage says that God's wrath is being revealed, not will be revealed. It's being revealed now. And, and the rest of chapter one, we can see how his wrath is being poured out. See, three times, three times in chapter one, it tells us that because of mankind's great wickedness, that God gave them over. God gave them over. 
to their great wickedness. He said he gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts. He gave them over to sexual impurity. He gave them over to shameful lusts. He gave them over to a depraved mind. So God's wrath is being poured out on us. I I think it kind of reminds me, growing up we had an old VHS tape, probably something we had recorded off TV, but of Willy Wonka. You guys seen the movie Willy Wonka before? right? The old one. And, uh, and you watch in there and you got all these kids and they're full of selfishness and pride and arrogance and all these different, and they walk into, and Willy Wonka takes them into all these different rooms in his chocolate factory. And in each room, he lays out the rules. He says, all right, don't do this. And in each room, man, those kids they just had to push the limits, right? That, that first room you got, you walk into the room and it, it's a land of imagination. I mean, everything's editable. I mean, the kids are eating everything and there's this big chocolate fountain uh, that, that flows through the waterfall and it's this chocolate river. And there's a kid named Augustus Gloop, right? And he loves chocolate. And the first rule he said is, you know, that, that river has never been touched by human hands. So don't, don't touch the chocolate river. So what's the first thing Augustus does? Walks on over, and he just starts lapping it up. Yeah, this is so good. He just had to try it. So what's Willy Wonka do? He could jump in there and say, no, don't do that. No, it's dangerous. Instead he says, no, stop, don't. (laughs) And he allows Augustus to just do what he was doing, even though he's breaking the rules. What happens? Augustus falls in the river, and he gets sucked up and out of the factory. And each room, same thing happens. And the same thing happens in our lives. We're experiencing God's wrath simply by God saying, all right, that's what you want? Go for it. Go for it. And he allows us to experience the consequences of our sins. He tells us the rules, not not to come down on us, but to help us, to guide us so we don't have to experience pain in our lives. But instead, we choose to follow our own selfish desires. And he gives us over to them. And he allows us to experience those consequences. See, it it says, it spells it out even farther. It says that that because of those uh, things that he gave them over to, men committed, uh, committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. It goes on to say that we become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, and greed. We are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. We become gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. We invent ways of doing evil, disobey our parents, senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. That's what becomes of us. That's what becomes of humanity because we decide to choose our own way rather than God's way. We choose choose to disobey him. And and God's wrath allows us to experience those consequences. See, when left to on our own, when God doesn't intervene, when he doesn't step in, when he doesn't set us on the right course, this is who we are, right? This is what happens. Economic disorder, social disorder, family breakdown, relational breakdown. This is also known as total depravity. I mean, this, this this is who we are. This is what we're destined to become because we don't follow the rules. You see, God's wrath currently is simply simply allowing us to walk through the door that we've already chosen. That's how God's wrath is being poured out on us. I mean, you can see it. See all the disorder and chaos and pain and hurt in our world. There's some messed up stuff out there. 
things that, that cause us fear and cause us anxiety. It's because God allowed us to choose. And this is what we chose. And these are the consequences. Now, you may look around the world and, and you think, man, people are just evil. People are just wrong. And, and so you hear this message and maybe this morning you're thinking, good. Good for them. Like, they deserve it. People are just the worst, aren't they? Right? I mean, you watch the news. These people are getting what they deserve. Kind of reminds me as a kid, I don't know if you were like this or not, but one of my favorite days is when uh, my siblings would get in trouble. I mean, when, when they finally, like, they got the spanking that was coming to them. Some of you, you might cry when you see your sibling, you know, get hurt. For me, it was like, let's pop popcorn. Let's watch this. This is great. Because they are getting justice. Justice is served. And so sometimes we can look at this passage and we think, yes, all these God-haters are getting what they deserve, right? That, that pain and that punishment, they deserve it. But we're only on the first form of God's wrath. There's another one coming. Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says this. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them, and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. That's a fun passage, isn't it? This passage is saying that if you read the last passage and you're feeling pretty good about yourself, you think that because you aren't involved in any of those sins or because you go to church or you, know, you uh, have the right friends that you're good, this passage is saying, check yourself. Check yourself. Before you go and judge anybody else, check yourself. See, you judge others, but you need to judge yourself. You, you teach it, but do you live it? You get upset over the disgraceful behavior of others, but when you do those disgraceful things yourself, you rationalize and say, well, it's not as bad when I do it. Right? We're good at that. See, Jesus told us that before we remove the speck from our brother's eye, we need to remove the plank from ours. Jesus also taught a little parable. I, I like this. He taught a little parable called the parable of the prodigal son. You guys heard of that one before? Luke 15. And, and in that, he describes... Uh, a father and two sons. And the youngest son, he says, Dad, you're dead to me. I just want my inheritance money now. Uh, give it to me because I want to go live life my way. So the father agrees. He, he gives the son his inheritance. And, and he runs off and he spends it in wild living. He, he fulfills every sinful desire that he could ever want until one day the money runs out. He's got nothing left, and he hits rock bottom. He finds himself working for a farmer, feeding the pigs, wishing that he could eat the food the pigs were eating. And he humbled himself enough to say, you know what? This is bad. Maybe I should just go back home. And he has a speech all prepared, you know. 
Father, I've sinned against you and against God, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he goes back, but before he can even say anything, the Father comes and, and he embraces him. And he loves on him, and he gives him gifts, and he says, go kill the fattened calf. We're going to have a party because my, my son who is lost has come back home. But then there was that, that other brother, the older brother, who did everything right, who, who uh, you know, he had everything going on. He was obedient to the father. But when he sees the son come back home, now he's angry. Now he's bitter. He doesn't like this. He doesn't, he doesn't deserve grace. He doesn't deserve a second chance. Don't you see how horrible and evil he is? And we realize that the second son was just as lost or even more lost than the first. And that's the picture we get in Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2. Romans chapter 1 is is talking about that, that first son, the younger brother, who went out and just in sinful desires did whatever he pleased. But Romans chapter 2 is like the older brother who's obedient and compliant with the father. In Romans chapter 2, we think that we're so good, that we've got everything together, that that we're doing everything right, and we scoff at at those who are living in evil and think that they're getting what they deserve. But our heart's not on God. We're lost too. See, you may be judging others for worshiping the gods in the pagan temple, but what we don't realize is that we've taken one of those statues out, renamed it, put morality on it, and we've been serving that. See, morality may seem like a nicer God, but the problem is that it's still not God. It's still not God. See, remember, we're all worshiping something, even if, it's, uh, if we're not worshiping God, it's something else. So if you still think that you're doing pretty good this morning, I want you to imagine this. Imagine there was uh, a contest throughout the United States, and they were looking for the most perfect person. Right? Somebody who could be a role model for the children. Somebody that everybody could look up to. The perfect uh, U.S. citizen, and they chose you. Don't you feel special? And so, uh, to really learn from you, to, to grow from you, what they decided is they are going to film you 24-7. I mean, they're going to record everything. When you're sleeping, when, when you're standing, they're going to record every word. They're going to put it on live stream. It's going to be on YouTube. So that way, everybody can check in and see how America's perfect model citizen is doing. You guys good with that? No. That sounds terrible. It sounds awful. Why? Because deep down, we know that, that we're not perfect. We can judge people all day long, and it can make us feel good about ourselves. But, but deep down, not one of us is perfect. Not one of us is perfect. It's easy to judge, but we don't like to be judged. Verse 5 in chapter 2, it talks about God's second form of wrath, his future wrath. It says that you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. You see, one day when we die will come judgment day. And there we'll have to give an account of our life, of everything. See, while the idea of being filmed 24-7 sounds terrible, uh, in that moment, God will bring to light all those things that have been hidden in your life. Not, not just your actions, not just your words, but your thoughts as well. It says that we're just storing up wrath. Man, each and every sin, each and every time that, that we chose to do something that, that dishonored God, when we chose to serve ourselves other than God, each time that wrath just began to store up and store up. 
can store up waiting for judgment day. It's kind of intimidating, isn't it? That's pretty scary. The wrath that we've built up against ourselves. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 tells us, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Matthew 12, 36 tells us that we will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word we have spoken. See, God's future wrath is coming. And no matter how good you are, none of us can avoid it. Even if you go to church, even if you're really nice, even if you do your best to follow all the rules. Future wrath is coming. And that's where chapter 2 ends. With no hope, with just the stark reality of the darkness that we all live in. We're all hopeless. We're all deserving of wrath. So just let that sit for a minute. So what do we do now? What do we do now? Now that we know we need help, now that we know that we need to be saved, how can we be saved? Right? This, this seems pretty lost. It seems like there's no hope. Maybe we can escape God's current wrath, but we for sure can't escape God's future wrath. What do we do? Well, as we continue reading in Romans, we'll, we'll discover more of the gospel. But I want to first look at, at 1 Timothy here just briefly uh, to see how Paul dealt with it himself personally, that, that thought of the darkness that he was in. He gives a unique perspective of his own lostness. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15 says this, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. Think about that. Of whom I am the worst. See, Paul recognized that he was the worst of sinners. The same Paul who, who shared the gospel with thousands, who planted churches, who wrote 13 books of the Bible. And he says, I am the worst. I am the chief of sinners. See, we can try to judge sin. We can try to rank sin. We can try to say, hey, I'm higher up in the pit than you. But at the end of the day, we're all in the pit. We're all lost. And Paul recognizes and he says, guys, I'm the worst sinner. I've done so many wrong things in my life. I've gone my own way so many times. I am the worst of sinners. I'm the worst of sinners. But it's in this, this dark, bleak background that the gospel shines when there is no hope for salvation. When Paul was lost in the pit, that's when Jesus stepped in. Amen. Verse 16, he says this, but for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. So he's saying, I was the worst of sinners. And you know what? If God can save me, if he can come in and he can totally change me, where I used to be lost, I used to be persecuting Christians, but now I'm following Jesus and I'm leading the pack, right? If he can do that in my life, he can do it in anybody's life. See, when we realize that we're the chief of sinners, when we're the worst sinners, then the last thing in the world we would do is judge someone else. But the first thing in the world we would do is share the gospel with them. 
because we know that there's hope, because we've experienced it ourselves. If God can save me, there's no doubt he can save anybody. So let's look back at Paul's thesis statement for the book of chapter, or in the book of chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Did you catch that? To everyone who believes. See, the gospel has the power to rescue you from God's wrath. I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that the, the, the gospel can come in and he can change uh, everything about us. Because here's the thing, you know, that, that wrath has been building up. That wrath has, has been, been building up. But here's the gospel. Jesus came in. He went to the cross. And all that wrath that was building up for us, he took it on himself when he died on the cross. And he gave us the opportunity to have freedom because he rose from the dead. And now the Bible says that if we confess with our mouth, we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, right? If we have faith, we will be saved. We don't have to experience God's wrath because Jesus took that punishment for us. Worship team, would you come? I'm so thankful for the gospel. I'm so thankful for the gospel. It was just a couple weeks ago um, during one of our thousand snowstorms. And we were snowed in, kids are at home, schools canceled, all of those things. And I, I saw the notice come by, all the cars needed to be off the street by 1 p.m. Done it a thousand times. I knew, all right, 1 p.m., I need to do that. But it was, I had stuff to do. I had work to get done, projects to work on. So I'm working, doing all those things. I thought, I got time. I, got, I, I don't need to move my car yet. Besides, the snow plows, our street, they don't come through about, until about 4 or 5 o'clock. So there's no sense in rushing it. Well, it gets to be about 12.30 that day. And I was in the middle of a project, and I thought, okay, if I go move the car now, or nah, I'm, this is, I'm doing good. I'm just going to finish this project. I'll go move the car after that. So I'm sitting there, getting stuff done. All of a sudden, I get a text message from my neighbor. I thought, that's weird. My neighbor doesn't usually text me. And the text read, do you have a white car parked out in front of your house? Yeah, that's where I park it every day. She said, because it's being towed right now. And I look at my phone, it says 1.10 p.m. Of all the days for the snowplow to come early, it had to come on the day where I thought, I've got time. I don't, I don't need to wait. And so now I'm just mad. To be honest with you, I'm mad. I'm, and I'm wondering, how big is this fine going to be, Right? So I start walking, and I see they've towed my, my car half a block. You know, just half a block. And I, I get there, and I read it. It's like, oh, 70 bucks. 70 bucks to tow my car half a block. And you know what goes through my mind? But this was just one mistake, right? I, I've moved it every single time till today. Like, this isn't fair. Don't they know I'm a good person? Like, can I, can I appeal to that? Hey, I'm a pastor. Like, can you cut me some grace? 
And then my mind started going to, well, what if I just don't pay it? What if I just ignore it? And then I read the fine print. It says, if you don't pay within 72 hours, we double the fine. Like, well, how? Oh, they have my license plate. Okay, yeah, no, I can't. Can't get out of that. You know, so I'm trying to rationalize all of these things. But finally, I had to accept the inevitability that I was going to have to pay that fine. And it was my fault. It wasn't anybody else's. I knew the rules. I needed to move the car, but I didn't. You know, I, I think that process goes through us a lot of time because we, we know the rules. We, we know God's wrath is waiting for us. We, we know that we are sinners. We, we know the Bible tells us that, that the penalty of sin is death. The wages of sin, the fine for sin is death. We're all deserving of death. But how many of us today were thinking, I got time. I don't need to, I don't need to move that just yet. But we're not promised tomorrow. We, we don't know the day or the time that Jesus is coming back. If you're waiting here this morning, you're saying, I've got time. No, don't wait. Today's the day. I don't care what project you're working on. I don't care what you, this is the most important thing that you could do right now is say yes to Jesus. To say yes to the gospel because the fact is that no one is righteous, not even one. We're all sinners. We're all in that pit together. And the only way out is to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died and that you rose again. So if you're waiting, today's the day. Today's the day. Or, or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, but I'm a good person. I, I don't, I'm not deserving. God is, God's too loving to make this happen to me. I don't deserve hell. But we've seen clearly, hey, the wrath is building up against us. We're going to have to pay the fine. We're going to have to pay the toll. Or, or maybe you're just thinking, this is unfair. This is unjust. This just isn't right. Well, you can ignore it all you want, but it doesn't change the truth. The truth stays the same. The wages of sin is death. But there's another truth. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So today, would you just bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to give you an opportunity to receive the bright shining jewel of this gospel that Jesus died for our sins so that we could be saved, so that we could be forgiven, so that we can have new life. And so today, if you're ready and you say, today I'm tired of waiting, or today I need to get back on the right track because I've been serving another God, and that's you just, just right now. Would you lift your hand up? I want to pray with you today. Is there anybody here? Thank you. Is there anybody here that you would just say, I want to know the gospel. I want to experience Jesus. Maybe for the first time or like I never have done before. Is there anybody in this place? In the balcony, anybody who's just say, I need the gospel today. Thank you. Thank you. Online, you can just raise your hand in the comments. We want to pray with you today. Two people in this room who said, I, I'm going to change everything. I'm going to give my life to Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Let, let's pray together. Would you all just pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner deserving of wrath. Thank you for dying for me, 
for paying my penalty, for taking God's wrath. Thank you for rising again. I believe in you. Be the Lord of my life. I want to live for you all my days. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Would you stand? Would you stand? Two people today have made that decision to say, I'm changing from death to life. It says the angels in heaven are rejoicing because of the greatness of our God. Right? His wrath is fierce, but his gospel is great. Let's sing this song together before we leave today. How great is our God?